What's up, everyone? This is the Ty and Bob Pod at GoLong, GoLongTD.com, part of the Substack community. Thank you so much for reading, for subscribing. I'll be greatly appreciate it, and we would not exist without you. No ads, no sponsors, no corporate masters telling us what to say, how to think. We value our independence uh, greatly, and it, it we can only value our independence if readers are supporting Go Long. So thank you, everybody out there, for doing that. Uh, at the top of the show here, I just want to let everybody know today marks the one-year anniversary of the Blood and Guts, Bob. The Blood and Guts, baby. How tight ends save football, which I think it's pretty good timing to mention the Blood and Guts when you watch football on a Sunday. Starting to feel like my grandfather. Starting to yell at these refs quite a bit. I want to chuck the remote right through the TV. Uh, It's hard to even fathom how a defensive player thinks in the modern game as the suits on Park Avenue, as the owners, as the officials, as Roger Goodell, as all of these bureaucrats justifying their existence with titles that I cannot even fathom, probably. They're trying to find a utopian middle ground, Bob, that does not exist, right? The league has to own its inherent danger, own the fact that it's a violent sport. You step into that arena, all these players, they know what to expect. And yet here are the flags and the fines every day, driving us nuts, every game, I should say. So this book, I really hope, serves as a Bible for the football soul. Just taking a little cross-country search. Hanging out with Mike Dicka, Jeremy Shockey, Tony Gonzalez, Jackie Smith in St. Louis was awesome. Rob Gronkowski, Ben Coates, George Kittle. Uh, This is the position, Bob, that I really, truly believe can preserve everything that we love about football. So to everybody who has read the book, um, who has listened to it on Audible, and you don't have to listen to this voice, which is great. You get to hear a professional narrator uh, who has a very bloodsy, gutsy voice, if I can say so myself. Um, thank you to everybody who has, who has taken it in this past year. Uh, truly, truly grateful. And if you haven't yet, would love it if you added the Blood and Guts to your library. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, everywhere you get your books. But if you want a signed copy from me directly, uh, just shoot me an email. GoLongTD at gmail.com. And we'll make it happen. Uh, so with that, Bob, did you enjoy Blood and Guts? Did you did you like reading that? Yes. Who, I which certainly did. The stories stood were, out to you. The stories were wonderful, Tyler. It's a great book. And I hope it's doing well. And um, everybody should read it. It is kind of the essence of football. You know, the guys that can block, the guys that can run over people after the catch. It's all hardcore football. I appreciate that. We'll probably be touching on some of these tight ends uh, today on the podcast too. I mean, I was just rewatching lions bucks and man, Sam Laporta. He is, he's going to be special. I mean, you can just see he's got some pop to his game, Uh, but obviously no green Bay Packers football to discuss on this edition of the tie and Bob, which uh, by design, as people know, by now we're ripping through the entire NFC North where talking about other games outside the division as well so this will be a fun episode i think to uh, get into some other games get into some other teams a little more in depth look forward as well 
first things first, what's happening in the world of one Bob McGinn? What have you been up to? Uh, can't break 90 on the golf course, Tyler. I'm struggling right now. I've had a rough fall. Played in Milwaukee with my son over the weekend. Uh, about 48 degrees and 20 mile an hour wind. That was a little brutal. Um, on the on the fairways of Brown Deer Golf, uh, Brown Deer Park Golf Course, where the U.S. Bank Classic was held for 15 years, Tyler, and I attended that with Pat many a year, and I was seeing ghosts on that fairway. Uh, Kyle Triplett, Alex Chaka, on and on and on. It was really fun to play that place. <laughs> Golf's not your thing, Ty, but those are some great names. Okay, I'm I'm sure our uh discussion on golf probably struck a few emotional chords in, in listeners right I, we probably have some avid golfers that pissed off so if i did i apologize but and tyler you know, i view it as a waste of time on this on this little marble of planet earth and where did tiger woods make his professional debut at brown deer i believe 2004 u.s bank classic okay. he made the cut barely Tied for 69th, but he had a hole in one. Yep. He did. Yeah. Tied for 69th. When, you know, he missed the cut a few times in his pro career. Tied for 69th might be maybe his worst finish when he made the cut. Huh. Brown Deer ate him up, Ty. Is <laughs> is this where I make a, a raunchy joke that, you know, finishing 69th was a bad omen for Tiger Woods's <laughs> life down the road and his escapades off of the course, right? Is that where we kind of fit that in? It's hard for me to just kind of move past that. I mean, he, I get, I, he's probably not alone, right? A lot of pro athletes that become larger than life celebrities are, are slime balls, but uh, I didn't see that coming with Tiger Woods. I really didn't, you know, he was so buttoned up you know, really kind of a laser beam personality. You never really know what people are doing in their personal life, I suppose. Um, all right, before we talk football, it's it's Halloween season. It's fall season. I never I never really ask you this. How do you get into Halloween? Do you and Pat like sit around and watch horror movies? Do you like scary movies? No, the world is too scary as it is, Tyler. No horror <laughs> movies. I've never been into them, you know? How about you? I I never really was growing up, I suppose. Um, in college, I remember going to see Paranormal Activity with my roommate, and that was amazing. The last 15 minutes of that movie, it's just... it. I, I'm sure a lot of people out there have, have watched it. It's, it's, it's incredible. I think it kind of created this whole new genre of horror movies, and then... I really, you know, when I married Gina and every Halloween, we, we really get into it. She loves scary movies. Uh, always trying to find new ones out there. So if you have any recommendations, please, please let me know. We're always on the lookout, but yeah, there are some there. It's, you know, you know why I like scary movies, Bob, it's hard to make a really good one because they can be really cheesy. Uh, I don't really like the gore. You know, I don't need the saw and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of stuff, but the paranormal and the demonic genre, that is, that is musty stuff because it's, it's real. I mean, I believe in that stuff 100%, especially when you learn about, oh, the married couple, we just saw a documentary on them. Um, 
Ed and Lorraine, the demonologists, the the Conjuring movies are based off of their life. I mean, it's based off of true stories. Ed, yes, right. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, those movies are all great too. So the fact that there's like a little element of truth to some of this paranormal stuff, it kind of gives me the shivers, right? I think so. It's, it's, good, Tyler- it's good to be scared. It's good to feel different emotions. So have you watched uh, some Alfred Hitchcock from uh, way, way back? So what would those movies be? Like Night uh, of the Living uh, Dead? Is that, is that uh, one? The, the Birds, Rear Window. Uh, was it 49 Steps? Um, there was a t- he made about 15, and a lot of them are scary. Man, you know what? We should probably get into some of those. It's not ringing a bell. Yeah. I see it here, though. You know what movie is legitimately scary is Sinister. Top-notch horror movie, modern, um, hereditary, really good. Uh, Creep and Creep 2. The Invitation, just trying to give people some movies to watch out there. But okay, so we're not going to you know, watch a scary movie together, Bob, when we get together out there. And no, no way. It's okay. No segue out of all that. What game do you want to talk about first? Let's start with Detroit and Tampa Bay. Um, I just would like to say this, Tyler, that, you know, there were a lot of Lion fans at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, just beside themselves. It's the way that they've been at Ford Field. And really, it reminded me of, again, the way, way Packer fans in the early to mid-90s took over the big sombrero in Tampa. Tampa wore their, uh, the Buccaneers wore their creamsicle uniforms first time, I guess, in 11 years. And that's what I used to see from the press box. And Packer fans would just inundate Tampa. And Tampa was uh, not good. And then uh, then they got pretty good under Tony Dungy. But Green Bay fans would just help the team, increase the team's chances to win by such an extent. And that's the way it was for Detroit. Here's what Dan Campbell said. Now, he's had a couple road games. Green Bay was the same thing. Kansas City was the same thing. He was asked about how they, why they're 3-0 and on the road. He said, well, they're not really road games. He said, that's what it feels like. We've got significant uh, fan support on the road. I remember when the Packers won that uh, title in 96, the Super Bowl. I talked about the fans in almost every one of my game stories that year, how many were at the Kingdom, how many were here or there, and um, Soldier Field. Um, wrote a chapter in that book that the JS produced about the fan support all over the place. And that's kind of what I feel with Detroit. Uh, Campbell played for the Cowboys, and he was asked, um, did the Cowboy fans travel like this? And they're notoriously massive on the road. He said, not like this. And look, Dallas travels well, but there's kind of a takeover here. Seriously, this is pretty awesome. He said, man, our fans are just riding the wave with us. Um, so that's what it was kind of like, Tyler. And before we zip through the positions on Detroit, you know what Detroit's got right now? I watched this tape really closely. They are so they have dependable players and violent players. They really hit in the line. They they are taking people on the defensive linemen. They just shut down the Tampa Bay run game. On offense, they did a job 
over time, a pass throwing for uh, for Jared Goff, and they're not getting any penalties. They're now plus two on turnover margin, plus two. They've been worked their way up to that, but they don't get any penalties. So they're smart and they're tough, and that's really why they're five and one. You mentioned Laporta. Oh, go ahead, Ty. Well, I just – it's amazing how far this team has come. I don't think we can really harp on it enough. And it was so illuminating. I'm sure we're we're going to talk about Tracy Walker. <laughs> Boy, did he stick Chris Godwin on a hit, didn't he? But he is um, – I mean, we were so grateful that he opened up like he did about what life was like under Matt Patricia. And to get from where they were as a team at that point to where they are now – it's, I know it's hard for people to quantify what it means to go to work happy and wanting to run through that proverbial wall, but it's real. I mean, this real quick, I just pulled up. So ear, again, earmuffs for people out there. There's, there's, there's some language, but Tracy Walker, he, he, he mentioned how Matt Patricia's big thing was screaming at practice, 89 and one, 89 and one in training camp saying, basically, like, if you're that one, you're out. Like if you're out, if you're there at eight fifteen instead of eight, you're out. And he got rid of the really good players, captains, Darius Slay, right? Um, Glover Quinn re- retired early because of Matt Patricia. Quandre Diggs is shipped off to Seattle. He, he's a captain. So this is Tracy Walker's words: "Quote on Patricia again, some swear words here. He'd be like, to hell with you, go fuck yourself. This is the way we do it. If you don't like it." Hit the fucking road. He didn't shy away from telling you how he felt. If you got 89 that are all on board and you've got one guy who isn't, well, fuck this one guy. We'll bring in another guy. Quote, we played a lot of bad ball around here because of that reason. All the guys who said something, they got out of here. Literally, that 89 and one was a real thing. This is what I mean by do what I say or you're gone. Hit the highway. I will find another place for you. I don't care how good of a player you are. And he gets into how toxic it really was. Cites specific examples, a preseason game when he's, you know, all out tackling the day before the game. Basically, Matt Patricia was kind of a Bill Belichick knockoff, right? A caricature. That's why these lieutenants never do anything. They're trying to be somebody they're not. Like in the hallways, he said that Matt Patricia could be a great guy. He'd ask about your family. He's like, yeah, this is somebody you'd want to get a beer with. And then it's speaking of Halloween. It's like he puts a mask on and becomes somebody else. Uh, One more from Walker. Quote. I fucking hated coming in. Guys used to hate it here. So to go from that place with Matt Patricia, where not only are you losing, but the the culture, the facility, everything is just so poisoned with asbestos. Right? Nobody likes it there. To now, and you just you, you hear what Dan Campbell says, and then you see the way the team plays, and it's a direct reflection of everything that he's done internally. I used to think all culture talk was a bunch of nonsense, Bob. I'm not going to lie. In my younger, Mm -hmm. like, Bleach Report days, I'd hear coaches kind of filibustering on and on about culture, culture. It does get a little old. Some of it is pretty cliche. Um, But it's real. (laughs) I mean, when you look at, like, the the Cleveland Browns, for example, and was it 2019 when they, they get Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and they got Baker and Freddie Kitchens as the coach and Olivier Vernon, they've got all this talent. And where, where did they get? I got them six wins. Uh, you need talent 
but I think that Dan Campbell understands like you, you, they needed to fumigate things there as Forrest Gregg yelled way back in the eighties, <laughs> right? Fumigate the bill, fumigate the building. It was Forrest who yelled that I think after uh, they had to, they had to. And I just uh, apologize for the language, but man, I think it's important to look back at how bad things really were. And that, that series is up at go long, just a DNA of the lions. We can link it in here as well. Uh, just how they went from that place to now. They had to, they had to find the kind of player that would respond to Dan Campbell, but uh, there there's a reason these fans are filling every single stadium. They know that something special is building with this team. Uh, you mentioned Laporta. Let's talk about him as the receivers. Laporta, it was kind of uh, his first kind of average game. He met again. It was a great matchup. The, the veteran linebacker, Levante David, four times they were like matched both in zone and matchup situations and in man. Um, Laporta beat David for plus uh, 19 yard reception. Then David, beautiful, two, two pass breakups against Laporta. And then Laporta got him for a 12 yard gain on third and five. Laporta also dropped a slant. So he looked more human in this game. St. Brown came back from injury. Um, you know, Tyler, right now, Goff's telepathy chemistry with St. Brown, I, I mean, I go back to my Green Bay beat days. It's kind of like Favre with Sharp, Favre with Antonio Freeman, Rodgers with Jordy Nelson, Rodgers with Devontae Adams. They are just, they are so as one. St. Brown had how many catches did he have? He got targeted uh, 15 times, caught 12 for 124 coming off injury. He's got great hands. He's always open. Um, Tampa Bay's got a really good defense, and their secondary was back intact in this game. Didn't make much difference. St. Brown is, is a stud. Josh Reynolds, I mean, the Rams get rid of him. Goffs tells the team to sign him, to get him on waivers or his a veteran free agent, I can't remember which. He's just been open a lot. Uh, ball, Goff throws a ball behind him. He makes the catch. He's playing really well. Sign of toughness, Marvin Jones. He's been in the league about 10 years, right? Uh, Detroit, and then where did he go, Tyler? Uh, yeah. Houston? No, uh, I can't remember. <sighs> they use him to come in and crack back on Levante David one-on-one. On a, on a toss sweep out on his side, he goes in and does it and gets the job done. A 10-year wide receiver, that's just, you can't ask 10-year wide out to do it. Dan Campbell can. Randall L. can, the wide receiver coach. Um, anything else? All right, now Jamison Williams. It was his second game in the regular season. He played 16 snaps this week. Um. He had a, about a 17-yard comeback in which he forced Jamal Dean back, 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 and then stopped on a dime, came back. The pass from Goff was underthrown, should have caught it. He dropped it. And then later, with the Lions clinging to a, a seven-point lead, caught a 45-yard touchdown pass with the safety, uh, Ryan Neal, all over him. It was a great catch. You probably saw that on the highlights. 
Neil had a hand in there. This was on third and 10, kind of a basket catch falling down in the end zone. It was a great play by Jamison Williams. Uh, he's dropped a lot of balls. I think his, there's all kinds of questions whether the guy is ever really going to be a pro, ever really going to be run tight, tight routes in, in a system. But on this one moment, it was a wonderful play, and it, it really clinched this 20-6 to victory. Some would say he was inspired by the Ty and Bob pod, correct? He was listening <laughs> to Bob McGinn's take on himself and said, I will show him. So he's a deep threat. He's not playing much. They don't have a great crew, but he's going to have to earn his playing time, which is good, barring injury. So that's it. The offensive line, Tampa's got a good defense, Tyler. I don't know if you've seen them. They got seven or eight starters from that Super Bowl team a couple of years ago. They got massive men, uh, Vita Vea, Greg Gaines, the ex-Ram, William Golston, who's been around uh, the Bucks yeah, forever. He's played forever. Yeah, he has. Yep. Uh, they stuffed the run, and they stuffed the, the uh, Lions' run. I was a little disappointed in some uh, in Sewell. He had a bad run right off the bat against the rookie, Kalijah uh, Kansi. In fact, he had two bad runs against uh, Kansi and a false start. Sewell did not have one of his better days. Um, Ragnow, he did not let Vea dominate that game. He got consistent body in front of him. There was some movement. Very impressive by Ragnow. He's a top, I don't know, three or five center in the business. Uh, Decker played good. Uh, Jonah Jackson, the left guard, did not play, so they played uh, Awasika, a guy they had signed about, I think, I'm not sure when. Coyote Awasika. This guy's got a 36 Wonderlick score. That was the high among the old linemen in 21. Short arms, small hands. He didn't play great. Two two knockdowns against Cansey and a sack. So they won the game with him, though. And uh, I assume uh, Jonah Jackson will be back for the game at Baltimore Sunday. Not sure about that. So that's the old line. It's really a good group. And when they couldn't run the ball and they lost Montgomery to this rib injury in the middle of the second quarter, they were able to protect. And then Goff hit enough completions that they had like 390 yards. This was a really tough victory, 77-degree weather. I've seen Green Bay teams wilt down there in Tampa many a time. Uh, Tampa's better than you give them credit for, and I think this is a really good win. I totally agree. I mean, when you really watch it, too, there were just uh, so many moments when it could have tightened into a back-and-forth game because of what you just said. Tampa's – I think the – picked Atlanta before the season. I think Tampa Bay wins the NFC South. Uh, a lot will come down to Baker Mayfield, and he missed those two throws to Trey Palmer deep. That, that could have changed this game. No doubt. But they're tough, and they're everything that Carlton Davis, that Antoine Winfield, Rashad White said they were in that, that story we had ahead of the season. That being said, uh, if I can just jump, I might be jumping around a little bit to different positions. They, it just seems like the Lions make all of those little hustle plays that when you add them up, it's why you're five and one. It's why the Detroit Lions are Super Bowl contenders. Let's just say it. They are on the same level as San Francisco, as Philadelphia, Dallas, throw whoever you want in the NFC. 
I, I think the Lions are playing better than anybody. Uh, so I picked them to get to the Super Bowl and play Jacksonville. But they 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 make these little hustle plays, Bob, that are the total difference. I you just don't see other teams make with this kind of consistency. You know the 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 third and thirteen touchdown uh, that we we could watch a million times over to Amon Ross St. Brown. Craig Reynolds just crushes Carlton Davis. Uh, I mean, the block is unbelievably impressive, but so they're at like the 27 and a half yard line. Amon Ravik catches it at his 20 and he's immediately met by three bucks. Like if you just screenshot it, there's no way he should get out of that jam, but he loops back to his own 24. Like the, the, the geometry, I guess you'd call it of, of this play. It's like Amon Ross St. Brown is looking at it from high above and sees exactly, okay, if I loop back four yards, then I have a chance to get to the sideline and beat all of these guys. And it also, by him doing that, it gives Craig Reynolds a shot to just absolutely beeline and take out Carlton Davis, which is football in a nutshell right there. Just a beautiful sight. But I think you also have to give Amon Ross St. Brown credit for then beating Antoine Winfield to the pylon. So he scores that so many little plays. So at, that puts Detroit up 10, three, there's a minute, eight seconds left in the half third and five near midfield. I, I don't know if you caught that. I mean, this quick screen that to Trey Palmer, it looks like you're probably going to touch on it here when we get to Detroit's defense. But I mean, if, if they hit him, he, he's gone. Like he, he at least gets a first down, probably a hell of a lot more. And Julian Aquara sniffs it out. He sees a lineman bailing. I think Chris Godwin's bailing. They, they're building up this wall for the wide receiver quick screen. Sticks an arm out, bats it down. Just a huge play there. Um, Josh Reynolds catching a third and 10 behind him. Craig Reynolds at third and four, that little receiver screen. Just a lineman and receivers all blocking out there for him. Um, and then Goff and Amon Ross. What can you say? I think four, four third down conversions between those two, I think. So. Yeah. The third and four, when it's 10-6, there's barely a window there. I mean, the Bucks are playing coverage. They're sitting back, and he just fits it between Davis and Jamel Dean. Um, so it takes that accuracy from golf and then the toughness from St. Brown, knowing you're going to get crunched potentially to make that catch. It just – Cleef Raymond had another play. All these guys, they – man, and it's usually the receivers doing stuff you don't see receivers do on other teams, right? Uh, yep. They make all of the little plays to add up. And that was the difference in this game, especially from that receiver group where it's a 26 game. It easily could have been nip and tuck down to the fourth quarter. If you're not getting a block here, a big catch there, pound for pound, they are just tough as nails. Let's reiterate what you said about five minutes ago, though, at Baker Mayfield taking advantage of the bus by uh, Tracy Walker and the bus by uh, Kirby Joseph. Uh, you know, we're, we're singing a different song here. There's True. a small margin of victory, but Green Bay or Detroit is really maximizing what odds and what talent they have. Let's look at golf, Tyler. Um, he had very little time early. You know, the rush was just hot. But then that rush tired, you know, as it does in games in the heat down there. And it tired, and that's when in the second half they really did damage. You know, Goff threw a bad ball real low, and he doesn't lack – he lacks a real huge arm, you know, 
which we saw in Green Bay for 30 years. He doesn't have that. Um, but he hasn't fumbled all year, and he used to have fumble problems. Trying the, the edge rusher, hit hit the ball in the pocket, when, but Goff kept his hands on the thing, no fumble. That was huge. Oh, there's a jailbreak going on. They, they see a screen, he just dirts the damn ball, you know. Yeah. He's smart, man. He's quick through his progression. Third year in the system. He showed different launch points with his arm angles. I liked it. Um, he's deadly on play action to St. Brown. Tight windows, and he's throwing the ball away the way Aaron Rodgers did three, four times a game. He is He doesn't care. He knows he's got a defense. He knows he's got a great punter, and he knows he can hit St. Brown on third down, and they just kind of move along. Let's go to the running backs. On Reynolds, Tyler, he's their third back. You know, Montgomery goes out in the middle of the second with a rib injury. I mean, he's a really good player, and he's a crucial part of their offense. He's down. Jameer Gibbs doesn't play with whatever he's got, an ankle, I guess. Reynolds, he's a kid from Cutstown. Used to be Cutstown State. Now it's Cutstown. Um, The hustle play was unreal. You know, on that third and four bubble for 28, Tyler, he's lined up as a wide receiver. You got a kid from Cutstown who can go out at wide out and execute that play. That's really good coaching. Um, and it's uh, a really good number three back. So, um, and then there, the other guy, they played him too, Divine Azebo. He was their fourth back. He took a couple snaps. So on offense, it wasn't a masterpiece. They scored 20 points. But it was enough, and they beat a good defense. Agreed. I mean, where do they go at running back with these injuries? Um, is that a concern? Um, yeah, it is. Let me check their practice squad. They had a draft pick they cut this year. Where was that guy from? I can't remember his name, but I'd bring him back if he's not somewhere else in the league. You know, there's talking about – Leonard Fournette or bringing some guy in like that. I can't see it. Fournette would not fit this chemistry here, this locker room. I think that's a bad idea. They want people they can count on, and then they'll coach the hell out of them. And that's what this staff has shown they can do. Montgomery, I don't know. He's had had rib injuries in the past. He's got another one. And Gibbs, Gibbs might be a guy who keeps getting hurt, Tyler. We don't know that, but he's a small guy. So that's it. Let's oh, and Brian Flores blitzed the hell out of him. That's another reason. But Goff just handled it. You know, he handled it like a his birthday was Saturday. He turned twenty nine. He just throws the ball away. Whatever, no problem. And uh, they Bowles. Were, yeah, what do I say? Flores. Yeah, yeah. That's Minnesota. You're ahead we'll get of the Vikings. That. That's all. Yeah. Um, all right. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Bulls. All right. Let's go to the defense. You could almost hear it on the TV copy, the way the interior people, Benito Jones, Akeem McNeil, and Isaiah Bugs, and even outside, Charles Harris and Aiden Hutchinson, their first, their first movement into the offensive lineman is so explosive and violent, you can actually hear this on the TV screen. I swear it's different than most other front fours. They are playing... They really play tough, and they stuff that run. These guys have been cut. Isaiah Bugs, Benito Jones, McNeil's playing out of his mind as a 
what was he, a third round pick in 21. These three players, and they're doing all the dirty work. And then Hutchinson is playing even harder than he did at Michigan. And Charles Harris, we talked about him. He's a physical guy. And Kaminsky, the other guy who plays up front, he's just a straight-arm barroom brawler. And let's segue into the uh, into the linebackers. It makes Alex Anzalone at this point just look like a Pro Bowl player. Anzalone is playing the weak side now rather than the middle. This is the best year he's had, best I've ever seen him by far in New Orleans or here. He can run with backs on wheel routes. He had a, a breakup on a wheel against Rashad White. Um, he had a PBU in the flat, just textbook coverage against a running back. He's knocking tight ends around. Um, he's hitting hard. And when quarterbacks scramble, we saw it last week, two weeks ago with uh, Jordan Love. He just runs them down, just explodes to them. Let's see what Anzalone ran coming out. Um, he ran four six five, Tyler, and that's seven years ago. He was a third round pick in 2017. He's running all of that right now. He is really a good player. And the guy next to him is the guy from Purdue, Derek Barnes. He's a take on guy. He can take on guards. He can shed them. He is very heavy, very heavy-handed against the run. And they are, I think they're number one in the league against the run right now. Check that. I got my handy-dandy. Yeah, number one and number two in average per rush. So they are shutting down the run with a front seven last year. Couldn't stop the run worth a damn. And that's Carolina knocked them out of the playoffs with well, how many yards? They got 250 or something on the ground. So that's the front. Any thoughts on the front seven, Tyler? Well, I want to ask you on, on Aiden Hutchinson. So he's come up a handful of times here on the pod. Second overall pick probably should have been the first overall pick. You saw him at Michigan. You've seen a lot of him now with the Lions. You've covered the best defensive end of all time, Reggie White, in my opinion. Um, you've been around some of the best players. I mean, you've, you've, you've covered them all since the 70s. Does he have a chance to be an all-time great? That's my question. Like, how, how special can Aiden Hutchinson be? I just feel like anytime I'm watching a Lions game, and, and maybe this is getting a little too hyperbolic, but he does have that T.J. Watt-ish ability. Uh, Max Crosby, he deserves to be in that conversation, too. Of He can just take over a game when he wants, it seems. He's got that ability. It doesn't really matter if you're trying to get a quick pass out over his head. He's going to stick an arm up. It doesn't matter if you're trying to double team him. He's going to affect that play somehow. It just, you watch a Steelers game, TJ Watt, he, he can make that play. And Joe Burrow, I remember him at one of his press conferences, he, he mentioned how, like, yeah, you try to play the quick game and you try to get rid of it. And it's like, he's watching my feet. He knows when it's coming and he just jumps up in the air and knocks it down. Max Crosby, you know, his safety just ends that game against New England. Uh, are we getting ahead of ourselves? I mean, it does seem like Hutchinson could be in that category of elite defensive ends, pass rushers, game wreckers that we're seeing. All right, so let me be honest now. In this game, he didn't really do much, Tyler. Really? And he would no. And he was up against their right tackle, Luke. I think it's Gadecki. Yeah. He played high school ball at 40 miles south 
east of Green Bay in Valders, Wisconsin. Then he played at Central Michigan. As a rookie, second-round pick, he had to play right guard for the Bucks last year in front of Tom Brady. I thought he had problems in there. But he had played right tackle for Central. I had seen him. Uh, Hutchinson didn't do anything against him. He really didn't. Um, can Hutchinson be <laughs> I love great, it when I build great... up a point and then you just yeah, I gotta gun be it honest, down. Tyler. <laughs> um, so unimpressed, knew, bust is what you're telling me. I knew whoever got Hutchinson T <laughs> would get a, a locker room presence par excellence. He just, he had proved that in every interview I saw at Michigan and the way he played. And then that scene after they beat Ohio State for the first time in like 100 years. I mean, he was crying. He wanted it so bad. I mean, that's all real. His dad was a big sacker at Michigan. So he's got intangibles times 50. I remember talking about talking to several scouts about this, you know, what his long-term potential was. Hmm. Let's look at the numbers again, Tyler, okay? Pull them up. Yep, let's look at him. Six, six and a half. So he's really tall, you know? 268. He's thin. You know, he's kind of a 4-3 DE. He ran 4-7-6. Nobody thought that was great. It's pretty good, but it's not great. Um, great shuttles, 4-4-1-5 and 6-7-3. His arms aren't long, 32 and an 8. That's not good for a guy six, six and a half. That's really short. His vertical and broad jump were good, and he did 28 on the bench, which is good. So, you know, that's why the Jaguars and Trent Balky, that's why they took Trayvon Walk, Trayvon, right? Trayvon. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they just didn't think Hutchinson had that long term elite stuff. I must have. I picked him to be NFL Defensive Player of the Year this year. And I think he has unlimited future, I guess. And uh, the combination of the physical stuff and the intangibles, he could be an elite, elite guy. He could be. I hear you all the way, Tyler. Thanks for coming around and, you know, make me feel a little bit better about it. I like that. (laughs) All right. Let's mention their other rookie, uh, Campbell from Iowa. All right. So, the first play of the game, he starts at Sam Backer because they like Barnes and Anzalone so much inside. So Harris went to the bench, and he came in and played stand-up outside uh, left left hand he was. Um, I mean, he does a, he's like a bull in a china shop right now. He's really a smart guy, but he's not seeing it all that well at this point. He's still a young guy. He runs around, K's the, knock, knocks down the center, Robert Kanzi. The running back goes right by him for a gain of nine. He shows big pursuit. He's a tough guy. But that's why Barnes is playing ahead of him, you know. Campbell's getting a lot of snaps, but Barnes is uh, still, he's really improved in his third year. All right, let's go to the secondary, okay, T? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Jerry Jacobs. So they lose Emmanuel Mosley last week for the year with the torn ACL. You know, it's a crushing blow. They're ready without Gardner Joseph, Gardner Johnson, Johnson, right? Yeah. Out for probably the year with, what was it, an Achilles? I can't remember. All right. So Jerry Jacobs, a free agent from Arkansas. 
he is such a quick run force guy. And then he just attacks bubble screens. He nailed one the other day for minus two. And he's kind of a ball guy too. He doesn't run good, Tyler. I mean, people know that. What do you run coming out? Four, five, six. So, you know, you can get them deep and that's their weakness. And teams are going to try to do that. And if they get time, you know, they're going to expose that secondary. But he is a, he's going to hit you, boy, and he's going to hurt you. Sutton has been a real find from Pittsburgh. I never thought that much of him with the Steelers. He just, he just, you know, what a pro. He, he's just got perfect footwork, perfect positioning. He's a leader. He's tough. He's a really good tackler. Uh, he's always in the right spot. You know, seven years ago, he ran four five five. You might have the two slowest starting corners in the NFL right here, Tyler. And the nickelback, Branch, who's been missed the last two games, who's been an outstanding rookie, he ran four five five. So Will Harris is kind of the combo of corner safety. He's had to play nickel for Branch. He does have four three eight speed. So their weakness is at corner. I mean, they have problems with depth. They got Khalil Dorsey and Chase, was it Chase Lucas, I think? Uh, yeah, Chase Lucas. They have another injury at corner. They're hurting, you know? They are. Um, the safeties, I don't know. I haven't been overly impressed with uh, Kirby Joseph so far this year. He's been okay. Um he had the bad blown coverage would have been a 92 yard touchdown to Evans. He was late on Godwin versus an early dig for 16. Um, and then Tracy Walker. Now Tracy was a starter for about four years. You know, Tracy missed a tackle early in this game. He had the huge hit that you referenced earlier against Godwin. It was massive. He, the fourth quarter, he was an intimidator, and we hadn't seen that all year from him. So that was a huge thing. Maybe now it's his fifth start, fourth start, and maybe he'll come on. But he's been just kind of an average player. So that's it on the secondary and the defense. I'll mention a couple of things on special teams. Any, mm-hmm. Anything more thoughts on their D? No, I thought you nailed it with, uh, with Cam Sutton as well, and you could just really get that sense chatting with him before this season that he wanted to be the player who holds everybody accountable Um, that, you know, we're not going to let things slide. If, if you miss your assignment, if you're a step off, if you screw up, like there's going to be consequences for that. I mean, and to say that when you're taking over a secondary, that was one of the worst in NFL history is, is saying something, I think. So yeah, his presence was needed. I think on the field, off the field, Every way, and you, you can feel it out yep. there. Now the special teams, you know, they're winning with special teams too, Tyler. Uh, Dave Phipp, a really good coach. They kept a couple linebackers here, Anthony Pittman and Jalen Reeves-Maben. They're both in like about their fifth, sixth, seventh year. These guys can run really good, and they are really committed to special teams. They kept six inside backers just to keep these two on that club for special teams. I mean, their fourth backers, Malcolm Rodriguez, who had a good rookie year. Uh, Pittman, very tough, very fast players. And then, you know, I noticed this on kickoff coverage, Tyler, 
you know, you got a kicker and you send eight to the eight down in the lanes, and then you got two safeties. That's the way most most coaches scheme it. You know who the safeties were on kickoffs? Um, the starting safeties, Joseph and Walker. Not many teams do that. Not many do. Dan Campbell does it because he really believes in teams, which he played a lot, and he knows how good FIP is, FIPS is. Khalif Raymond is as good as any uh, return guy in the league. He runs up furiously to catch short punts, and he's, he's elusive. The Achilles heel could be that kicker, Tyler. Riley Patterson. Hmm. He hit from 30. He hit from 36. He does not have a long leg. They sent him out there with a 10-3 lead, and he hit a screwball that missed wide right from 52. Now, it doesn't seem like the worst sin in the world, but the way kickers are making 50-plus nowadays, I guess it's something you got to think about. Uh, They've gone back and forth on kickers here during Campbell's whole regime. Uh, He's never got – Detroit's never been right since they let go Matt Prater about four years ago. So – and the punter's tremendous uh, fox. So that's it. Uh, It was a hell of a victory. And um, so they're, what, two – Basically, two games up on Green Bay or two and a half up on them. Yeah. Yeah. Plus a tiebreaker. So I, me- I mentioned it earlier that they're uh, a Super Bowl contender. Do you consider the Detroit Lions Super Bowl contenders? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. They got an, about the easiest schedule in the league now. They've played all their tough bunch of games. I mean, they've won on the road at Kansas City, Green Bay, and Tampa. That's an impressive uh, hat trick. Now they're at Baltimore. Well, we'll find out a lot there. They're not going to have Montgomery. I don't know how they're going to run the ball against a hell of a defense. They win this game. We'll talk next week about it, but that'd be a hell of an accomplishment. I've seen Green Bay get hammered there almost every time. And the Lions have had, they've never won at that new, at the Ravens stadium. So this will be even tougher than Tampa Bay. All right, let's uh, move along. What game do you want to talk about next? Let's look at Chicago and Minnesota. Okay. The two NFC North clubs played. Uh, Minnesota won this. (laughs) Kind Kind of a depressing game for stretches, wasn't it? No doubt. It was hard to watch. I hung with it. And spend time with the tape. Uh, the Vikings are two and yeah, you, four. You don't right? have to watch Sinister and Paranormal Activity when you're just watching Bears Vikings, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So Fields has got a hand injury, a thumb injury, right? Right hand. That's the number one thing coming out of there. So let's look at Tyson Bagent. I mean, I remember him because his dad is this wrist wrestling champion. Did you see that guy on the combine or at the senior bowl? I just heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. The dad was funnier than heck. I mean, he's a self-promoter. All right. Good for him. The kid's not like that. All right. Tyson Bajan. What college? He wasn't drafted. Some small school, Tyler. Where's he from? Oh, gosh. I I didn't have my research ready to roll here. I don't have a bare roster. Geez, I don't have it. <laughs> I'll pull he's, it up. I mean, he looks great. He's 6'3", 215, 478. 27 on the Wonderlick. 
36 vert. The guy's an athlete. He's a, he's a specimen. Shepherd College. There he is. West Virginia. Shepherd University. Sorry. Okay. So he gets thrown in there. You know, I mean, what are you going to do? Tyler, Matt Eberflus kept this guy as his number two. He's got Nathan Peterman there, too, as a three. Wouldn't you rather have Colin Kaepernick if you're trying to win games? No. Bob, I, come on. I he hasn't played football in over a decade. I, no. Oh, not here that, we go. Not that long. I take that guy over sure to win a game this week. Hell yeah. Oh, God. All I'm right. so tired of it. I mean, he's writing letters to the New York Jets and releasing the letter through, who was it? A rapper to Baby or J. Cole. I don't know who it was, but. Uh, trust me, watching Kaepernick was amazing. At his peak, those playoff games, I'll never forget Candlestick, that divisional playoff game. Unbelievable. I, I don't even want to go back and read what I wrote then. I probably wrote that he was transformational, just transcendent. This is changing football. <laughs> I'll find your I story, just, Tyler. I mean, oh, please don't. Uh, the, the substance of the matter, and there's a, we'll probably, we'd probably need two, three hours to talk about Colin Kaepernick. Uh, I think what kind of gets lost, though, is the football element of it. Like, Blaine Gabbert was playing over him with San Francisco. What was that, 15, 16, 2016? So maybe it wasn't a full decade. He hasn't been on a team. There's many reasons for that. Like I said, it's worthy of its own conversation. He hasn't played football in forever. Like, you really think he could step in and win a game for the Chicago Bears over several other options that are out there. No, I think he'd need about three or four weeks, but then I think he'd be a semi-respectable starter. He's an unbelievable athlete. He stayed in shape. He's got a good arm. I don't think he's lost that. He just would need some time in a system, but all right, so let's move on. So Bajan, everything is good. I mean, he got a touchdown. And then he just threw a ball up for grabs and got picked, and that was the end of the game. You know, they're doomed. Aren't they? They're just totally yeah. doomed. Anything about the Bears here? Let's not. Yeah, I mean, one like little sequence that kind of maybe gets lost in a game like this. It's just it's, it says so much. I think from a decision making standpoint, it's a six three game. I believe Minnesota's up. A few minutes left in the first half. Third and seven. Justin Fields is still in, obviously. They run the ball. And so you're thinking, okay, they're trying to get, you know, three or four yards, make it a manageable fourth down because you're in Minnesota territory. And they get three yards. It's a fourth and four. Like I said, a 6-3 game. And they kick a 53-yarder. It just it says so much about what you think of your quarterback. When it's third and seven and you're not really actively trying to win that down, uh, you you kick the field goal, you make the field goal, it's six six, but I don't know, it just it just seems like, yeah, for J- Justin Fields was amazing against Washington. And it was hope was in the air again, like it was all offseason for Bears fans. He, he you're gonna get those moments, but it's gonna be inconsistent. You're, you've gotta be able to win from the pocket to a degree, whether it's you, whether it's the scheme whatever the issue is, and that there just doesn't seem to be uh, trust there, 
And frankly, tell me if this is extreme, Bob. I think they should have just maybe traded him after that Washington game. Just tra- trade him. You know, his stock isn't going to be any higher than it was right then. No, no, you've got the right two first that. rounders coming up. Your first rounder, Carolinas. You're you're going to take a quarterback next year. You you should know what you have in Justin Fields at this point. Uh, you know, find a. I don't. I, I honestly maybe there isn't a suitor, but I, I would think desperation might be seeping into a front office somewhere, and you could salvage something for Justin Fields. Now he's hurt. Now he's going to be out several weeks. I guess you could maybe deal him down the road, but man, his stock was pretty high after that commander's game. Yeah. They're down to their fourth back, you know, Dante Foreman, who ran pretty darn well. The line, um, you know, they've had injuries. They can't execute the shotgun snap. Cody Whitehair got benched in the fourth quarter. Lucas Patrick went in there and he had a high snap. Also the ex Packer. Um, you know, for Packer fans, uh, the tight ends, Robert Tunyon and um, Mercedes Lewis, each played 16 snaps in this one. Komet played 63 out of 66. Um, you know, on on, on the um, return for the touchdown, the winning touchdown by Jordan Hicks, the linebacker, you look at that tape, Darnell Wright, the rookie right tackle for the Bears. I hate this, Tyler. He lets up on that fumble return. He must assume that it was going to be out of bounds or something. He would have made that tackle on about the 2025 had he pursued fast the entire time. But no, he broke stride for about three steps. And then when he started going again, when he saw Hicks have the ball, he was too late. You know, my old high school basketball coach says, Bob, it doesn't take any talent to be in the best shape of anybody on the team. And that was very fitting for me. I mean, just hustle, man. Yeah. It applies to high school basketball. It applies to the NFL. Just go. And if you get too tired, they'll pull you out. But just go, 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 go hard. And Wright didn't. And it kind of cost them a game in a way. Just small things. Um, I don't know. Look at the Bear defense, Tyler. Um. Well, as you're looking that up, I, I, I yeah. pulled up the player referencing, and you're right. I mean, you 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 eyeball it at first glance, and maybe it doesn't it it doesn't strike you. But then, if you keep replaying it, there's a there's a little hesitation there, a little a lollygag might be a little strong, but hesitation, a lack of urgency. And let's just say you don't see that lack of urgency when you're watching the Detroit Lions game, right? I mean, those are the plays that they that they make. And those are the effort plays that they make that teams like the Chicago Bears just don't. The word for that that Rod Marinelli always used was loaf, right? Loafed. He used to count loafs in his film room. I have no tolerance for that. None. All right, on defense. They really have no pass rush. I thought Pickens, the rookie from South Carolina, he only played 10 snaps, but he beat Garrett Bradbury for a bad run, and he killed Darisaw for a tackle for loss. And he had two really good plays and 10 snaps. I think they got to get him on the field. Um, linebackers, TJ Edwards missed a couple of tackles. I wasn't impressed with that. 
secondary, Jalen Johnson's, I mean, he's a good player. He's a step slow, but he's a really good player. Tyreek Stevenson is still just learning. Boy, Brisker, the strong safety, he's an emotional guy. He's a big hitter, but then he's so up and down. He gets beat by TJ Hawkinson on a corner route. Special teams, Valus Jones, man, he's returning kickoffs from three and four yards deep. That's that Tennessee wideout. He runs hard. He runs uh, with courage. And they got a great kicker in Cairo Santos. They blocked an extra point. That was good for Richard Hightower's uh, units, but that's enough for the Bears, one and five. Should we look at the Vikings, Tyler? Let's do it. Yeah. Justin Jefferson's gone. Osborne, K.J. Osborne's the guy who replaced him. Um, he played okay. Jordan Addison dropped a 35-yard bomb. Then he caught a nice touchdown pass. Hawkinson didn't get a target till the middle of the second quarter, and then he played pretty well. You know, on the line, Christian Derisaw, first-round pick in 2021. He's really a dancing bear. I mean, I use that term in in, in the most complimentary fashion. Um, man, he's out in front of screens. He shoved Kyler Gordon down on a pole. Man, just out there like, like Jonathan Ogden or something. I mean, he's inconsistent, Darisaw, but he's got such ability. You know, they're lying. They got a good right tackle in Brian O'Neill. I watch Bradbury a lot in this game. You know, the guy's undersized, the center, but he can execute the reach block, at least against Billings and Jones, and he is quick. He's not a bust. Um, you know, he's a 50-year guy, first-round pick, but he's not a total bust. They lost Ezra Cleveland in the fourth quarter with an ankle injury, I believe. We'll see if he's playing. Just C.J. Ham, the fullback. Man, that guy can block, Tyler. He KO'd Sandburn on an ISO at the end. Unreal. Um, he's a tough guy. Kirk Cousins. He's tough. He's dangerous. He can be accurate. He does dumb things. He had a terrible fourth quarter, and the team kind of won won despite him. I don't know. Do you like Cousins, Tyler, after all these years? He's regressing this season. Uh, They're two and four. Both of those wins against bad football teams, the Carolina Panthers and the Chicago Bears, they needed defensive scores to win both games. Mm. They won both games, as you know, in spite of Kirk Cousins. So no Justin Jefferson now with his injury. Um, so you would think oh, this this could expose him a little bit as well, right? He's, he's kind of, he, he's been able to just chuck it up to him like Favre to Sterling Sharp in those early 90s or uh, and name your star receiver. He can make a lot of problems go away. It was It was hard to watch at times. You mentioned dumb things. That's it, isn't it? He's always prone to maybe throw it behind the line of scrimmage to his back. What the hell was that? Uh, the, the, yeah. It's been the case. It's been the case for a long, long time that he's, he's going to make that mistake at the worst possible time. Typically playoffs, prime time, got to have a kind of game. You know what he is at this point. He's, he's got a lot of good. He's got a lot of strengths, accurate, 
experienced. If a guy's open and he's got the time, he's going to get the ball there. But he's he's a lame duck for a reason. And Kwesi Dopomensa, Kevin O'Connell, I think they did the right thing by not giving him an, another two, three-year extension ahead of this season. Like, really? They've got decisions to make with Kirk Cousins with that position. Now, so the question, I guess, now is, like, speaking of trading Justin Fields, do you trade Kirk Cousins? Now, he's got the no-trade clause. He want, sounds like he wants to stay there. You would need a suitor. You'd need a desperate team uh, to give you a pick for him as a rena player. So it's probably not going to happen. It's I think it's close to impossible that it's going to happen, but it makes for an intriguing debate because there are players on this team. They could move right Daniel Hunter, uh, Harrison Smith, maybe one of the linemen that, that are really good. It's at, at what point philosophically, if you're the Minnesota Vikings, do you start thinking about 2024? Um, I don't think they're there yet, but this is, this is a huge game. Because say they pull the upset against the San Francisco 49ers. Say, let's just hypothetically say they win that game. They're three and four, a ton of division games on the schedule still. They can talk themselves into trying to sneak into the playoffs again. They've kind of been in that place for a long time, though. I hate tanking. I hate the idea of all these teams quietly trying to make a play for Caleb Williams because it's going to backfire for most of these teams. I, I think I this might be an unpopular take. I think you just you keep Cousins, you keep Daniel Hunter, you keep all these players, and you try to win every damn week because I still think they've got a good thing going with Kevin O'Connell that they didn't with Mike Zimmer. I think the hire of Brian Flores has been mildly surprisingly really good. I think that it's a good balance for Kevin O'Connell. I had one uh, longtime coach tell me this. Maybe we even mentioned it on a podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, this, this one assistant coach who's been around some people on this staff, been around O'Connell, said, like, look, Brian Flores is what he needs. Like, Kevin O'Connell, like, people love him because he makes work fun, and that was a hard swing away from Mike Zimmer and the Matt Patricia toxic, like, environment that he had. But sometimes in those meetings and those film sessions, some shit's got to be said. There's got to be tough love. And Harrison Phillips even admitted when back in training camp, he said, look, we're winning all these games last year. And it's in this miraculous fashion that sometimes with Ed Donatello, it was a little too soft in those film sessions. Like he, we weren't as hard as we should have been. Flores is going to be tough. Like ask to a tongue of Viola. He almost ruined his career. Absolutely shattered his confidence. But as a defensive coach, you know, it's different maybe. And his scheme is proven. This defense, they stole two wins against two bad teams. Maybe they can make Brock Purdy and the 49ers uh, sweat a little bit. I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, I'm in on Purdy, but we, we've we seen Brian Flores steal this kind of game. We saw it against Lamar Jackson a few years back when the Dolphins were really bad. They were like two, one and seven, two and seven, and they almost made the playoffs that year. Stealing a game like that, I'm going to hmm. be watching that one. Yeah, because that's Monday night. The conversation night. around Cousins and around the Vikings could completely change if they win that game. That's Monday night. Well, Sunday, Sunday night or Monday night? Is it? Is it Monday? I don't Let's know. 
It's uh Sunday night. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, no, no, no. You're right. I'm sorry. Monday night. Monday night. Okay. Daniel Hunter. I've never been that high on him, Tyler. He played really good in this game at Soldier Field. Uh, he had a sack early, a hurry, led to an interception. Showed great burst, tackle, feels on an out of bound or on the sideline. I really liked what he was doing. Um, yeah, floors, blitzes like a madman. Um, he loses Marcus Davenport, a guy they paid in free agency. He limps off in the second quarter with an ankle. He's hardly played all year. DJ Wanham is the other rusher. I Wanham, I give him credit. The guy really tries. Dean Lowry and Phillips and Bullard, Tonga, that's their, their front four. Um, Hicks has been around. Pace is the little rookie guy from Cincinnati. <laughs> I don't know. Asamoa played quite a bit in alternating basis with Pace. Secondary, Byron Murphy's been a good pickup. He's a good player. Harrison Ford, you know, he fits in what Flores wants to do, causes a hesitancy. In the It'd be QB. funny if Harrison Ford was lining up a D-tackle. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Byron's a good free safety. They got a couple corners, Evans and um, Andrew Booth, uh, both physical specimens. And then the guy who's been a massive surprise is Josh Metellus. Fifth round, sixth round pick in 2020 from Michigan. So I know this player. I never thought he would do anything in the NFL. Let's, and now he's become a really good player. Let's look at his numbers, T. Metellus, 5'11, 209, ran 4'54. He had 26 on the test. Pretty good vert, 36 and a half. All right. So he looks, he's a safety. But now he's playing kind of – he'll play the slot on, against tight ends. He'll play linebacker in a 4-1. He got a sack. He got a knockdown. He got another knockdown. He got another sack. Um, the guy's a hitter. He's playing pretty good football. I can't believe it. Josh Metellus is pretty good. Um, Vikings have a really good kicker in Joseph. I don't know. I mean – you know, when, when you look at this division right now, we we just we know kind of a lot about the Vikings and we know a lot about the Bears and we think we know a lot about the Lions. The team I don't think I know any feel for is Green Bay. Hmm. And is this going to be just a Lion division now for for several years? These things come and go, as we know, Tyler. Every year is a new year with rosters and things. But or is Green Bay going to? fight when they get Aaron Jones back and love's going to get more time, more starts under his belt. I don't really know. I don't know. Green Bay's at Denver this week. So the game that they need to win. Yeah. The Denver Broncos. Do. You better believe it. Got to start right, bagging some at, of those wins. Did you watch the Dallas Charger game, Tyler? Very little, if I'm being honest, Bob. I know that uh, you were pouring through this one. Yeah. All right, so Dallas, apparently they they felt they had to win. They're now 4-2 after getting hammered by San Francisco and beaten by Arizona. Uh, some impressions. I don't think Dak Prescott's really very good, Tyler. And he had a pretty good night in this game. 
I remember writing him again file on him about three years ago, which turned out to be the high water mark of his career. You know, he holds the ball. He, he makes some bad throws. He, he doesn't run very fast anymore. He did some good things running the ball. Can't say that. Can't knock that. I don't know. Um, they got a great receiver in Lamb. Michael Gallup, who once was a good player, he's a mess right now after that injury. What do you have, an ACL, I think? Mm-hmm. Shows no burst. He dropped a couple balls, dropped a touchdown. Can't really get open. They're lucky that they have uh, Brandon Cooks to be a two because Gallup certainly isn't a two. Their line, I don't see it being that good. The center from Wisconsin, uh, Tyler Beatish, gives up a sack on a stunt, got backdoored for a tackle for loss. He's a small guy. I know he's got some strength, but I think he's a below average center. Steele, the right tackle, man, he has surprised me. What was he, Texas Tech? Or I'm shocked that he's been this good of a player. Zach Martin, I don't see him as an elite guard anymore. You do not see horsepower out of that guy anymore. And then the Smiths on the left side. First play of the game, Tyron Smith gets stuffed on a bad run. Gave up a sack on a bull rush to uh, Mack. And Tyler Smith, the uh, powerhouse left guard, the second-year player, he was kind of up and down in this game. I don't know. Um Pollard, man, leaked out of that. I mean, the play of the game, he leaked out of that protection, 60 yards on third and 11, their longest play of the year. Next play broke a couple tackles. He's a good back. He's a really good back. And then Dowdle and Vaughn. So any thoughts on their offense before we go to the D, Ty? No. I'm just, yeah, I was high on deck. As recently as last year, even though through those interceptions, they weren't all on him. It seems like even into the playoffs, getting that win against Tampa Bay, maybe, maybe he's turning some kind of corner. But he just is. He just is what he is. All right. I, yeah. But it, it's not all on him. Also, it. You, so you watch this game more than more than me. But what I've seen out of Dallas this year is a Mike McCarthy offense. And it's not exactly a Mike McDaniel offense, a Kyle Shanahan offense, a Bobby Slowick offense, even, you know, definitely not a Ben Johnson offense. There's a predictability still that kind of marred McCarthy's tenure there at, at the end with Green Bay. The comment I'd make on the Dallas uh, D against the Charger offense Man, that left tackle, Rashawn Slater, is good from Northwestern. First-round pick, he's in his third year. Man, he is really good, Tyler. He's like Gary Zimmerman or something from way back. He just shuts <laughs> people down. Uh, Durant's Armstrong couldn't – he couldn't even get anything against Slater. And Parsons hardly went over to that side. He would, he stayed over Trey Pick, Pipkins, third-round pick in 2019, a small school guy. And – Parsons, he didn't get anything going for three quarters. I don't, I question his effort and his hustle. But then at the end of the game, he made a huge late sack against uh, Pipkins and Sawyer, the uh, second year guard from Georgia. 
you split them lined up offsides one time i don't know uh we talked several weeks ago about Zua, the inside guy i like him tyler he had a big tackle for loss for minus four in the fourth quarter um hurry on the last pick guy's a dangerous threat inside uh, Lawrence and Armstrong and Fowler and Sam Williams, all these people come flying off the edge. In the back seven, you know, they Leighton Van Risch is on IR. So they basically re- re- replaced him with Marquise Bell from Florida A&M, I believe, a free agent two years ago. Man, he played really good football. He's tough. He can run, very active. Huge hit on uh, Austin Eckler at the one. Broke up a screen, really a, a, quite a find. And in the secondary, I don't know, Deron Bland is substituting for Diggs now out for the year. Missed a couple tackles. He made a great end zone breakup on fourth and one. Um, kind of soft against Keenan Allen. Boy, that's a great player. Um, the secondary is just okay. The safeties are okay. They got a good young kicker in Aubrey. That's it on the Cowboys, Tyler. Yeah, I just uh, – I, I think there's a lot of football to be played in, the, in that NFC East. In every division. It just the, – the Philadelphia Eagles are in a weird spot, right? They lose to the Jets, and, and their passing game has just been off. They're still running the ball well, but Jalen Hurts – it just is, uh, you know, the big plays, it's kind of like a short pass to A.J. Brown and he breaks a tackle and he's gone, which maybe you maybe you can do that all season long, but those big plays that we saw last season haven't been there through six games for, for Philly. So I, they, we've all assumed that the Eagles are this NFC contender, Super Bowl contender. I don't know. I mean, they've, they've got some flaws. The Giants losing absolute gut punch fashion here to the bills. They're one in five. I picked them to win the division. I'm not going to, you know, insult our listeners intelligence and say they're still going to win the division, but I'll just say their schedule softens up a little bit and they're getting healthier. So I think they can steal a game, steal a game here and there. Mm -hmm. The commanders just beat Atlanta. You know, they're, they, they did get blown out by those bills, but they, I think that they can compete with anybody in the division and, and Dallas has got flaws too. So yeah, it's, it's hard to really make a sweeping conclusion about that division as well right now. So, all right, let's get to your McGinn memory, which is always a, uh, a fun time here on the show where Bob digs through the old archives, finds a newspaper from 1472. Not exactly, but pretty close. What you holding up there, Bob? We have the Green Bay Press Gazette sports section from Tuesday, October 16, 1984. Okay. That was the first time I was ever in Denver and the Packers played a Monday nighter. Um, You weren't around for this one. Do you know anything about this game, Tyler? Only what I've seen on the old highlights, right? The snow globe (laughs) kind of game, right? Yep. All right, so now they're going to the Pack's going to be playing there on October what 22nd maybe. So about 6 days later, okay. 
This was a Monday nighter. Pack comes in one and five in Forrest Gregg's first season. The Broncos under Dan Reeves, five and one. They're at home at Mile High, one of the most intimidating stadium, old Mile High. Noise like can't believe. 70 got expanded in 1977, 75,000 seats. 12,000 no-shows at this game. Huh. All right. So we're staying at the Marriott somewhere out there by mile high. And I think the game is going to start at seven, maybe six Rocky time. So it's about two o'clock and there's an outdoor pool. I don't know. I was trying to get some exercise. So I go out in this pool and I was the only person in the thing. This real light snow starts coming down, heated outdoor pool and the snow. I was swimming in a snowstorm. I'll never forget that. It was unreal. It was really wow. unreal. So, okay. So snow's falling. And eventually this really thick, heavy snow, three inches had fallen by the time the game ended at 10 o'clock Rocky time. I remember you had to go down through the steps to get to the field and then locker room access. And we're just going through, you know, just snow. I mean, three inches. That's what our story says. I thought it was like five in spots, but anyway, it was 32, 31 degrees. So it was this heavy snow. So Tyler, this game took the cake. Um, first play of the game, Gary Ellis looks like Jerry, Gary Ellis heads off outside. Tom Jackson tackles him. The former ESPN announcer, Gary fumbles safety. Steve Foley picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown, seven, nothing. Back at the ball back. Was it the next, their next snap? Yeah. Fullback Jesse Clark carried. He fumbled and somebody else ran it back for a touchdown. So it's 14 nothing. They were probably two touchdown underdogs in this thing. I don't have the spread, but they're down 14 nothing, you know, and they're one and five against five and one. Well, from that point forward, Green Bay totally dominated this game. It was just one of the craziest about faces I've ever seen. Green Bay outgained, had 423 yards, 25 first downs. The Broncos had 193 and 10. Outside linebacker said this possibly should have been a shutout. Um, (laughs) Lynn Dickey had a great night, 27 of 37 for 371, despite the conditions. How'd the game end? Um, The Packers had the ball at the Denver 19 with three and a half minutes left. And Tim Huffman, the Packers left guard, said he was, he told me afterwards, he was personally responsible for allowing defensive end Rulon Jones to sack Lynn Dickey, causing the game deciding fumble. So the two fumbles at the start and then the game ending fumble at the end. Um. They, they just flat blew it, you know. It was their best effort of the season. Forrest said afterwards, Denver's offense scored three points and Green Bay's offense scored 28. 14 for Denver and 14 for us. That's about <laughs> the size of it. <laughs> Ron Holstrom, the guard, mused. Can you believe that? The first two plays, we killed ourselves. They didn't beat us. Gary Ellis wouldn't comment. So in this game, the place kicker, 
Well, wait a minute now. There were some other things going on. And Tyler, I'm just going to mention a few of these things just to show that reporting was a little different then. There was just, you were, you were around things. There was more access and you picked up on shit, you know? All right. So as Lynn Dickey was talking to reporters afterwards, he, he became distracted by an announcer from ESPN. He was about 30 feet away practicing his intro, you know, really loud going on and on about the Packer passing game. And Dickey yells at the guy. He says, why don't you go out in the snow and say that stuff? We don't need to hear that over and over and over again. <laughs> 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 All right, Eddie Garcia. Now, that offseason, Forrest Gregg traded Jan Stenerud for a seventh-round draft pick. He shipped him over to the Vikings, and he kicked well for the Vikings for a year or two. He had a great season. He was, well, it was kind of inexplicable why Forrest did that. So Garcia, in this Denver game, he missed in the snow from 29 and 37. Um, so I'm at practice Friday, three days before this game. And Friday was the day they always kicked, with you know, kicked and punted and all this stuff. Also, by the way, Forrest Gregg on Friday, always full pads. And that was the short yardage and goal line day. <laughs> Tyler, the Packers were live under Forrest Gregg on Friday. Live goal line. Maybe five, six, seven snaps. Live. Both sides. One's on one on ones. Yep. It was a different era, believe me, my friend. So Eddie Garcia was kicking at the end of a two-minute drill. This is on Friday. And he, he attempted two from the 50, three from the 47, and one from the 42. He missed them all. And after every, Forrest wanted to end the practice with a, with, a, with a make, right, to, you know, get the confidence up and then bring it all in, guys, team, whatever, you know. And every time after he missed, Forrest would bark, again, again. <laughs> all right. So anyway, Garcia, his legs got all screwed up. And he was limping. Oh my he walked God. off the practice field with a slight limp holding the back of his right hamstring. And then Garcia told me in the locker room he'd been receiving treatment for a sciatic nerve problem in the leg in the last week. Well, Greg had to know that, but yet he's kicking him six times from distance on the practice field three days before the game. This is the way it was. I mean, it was just crazy stuff. Um so they lost so, the next game to go to one and seven, and then they finished eight and eight. Correct. They won seven of their last eight. Wow. So Forrest, one month later, I got him alone. And this is just kind of the way people were. And I wanted him to admit that he had uh, made a mistake trading Jan Stenerud. Because one more thing. After this game, I went up to Lo James Lofton, the mischievous uh, crazy guy. <laughs> and I got to get this quote. Um, hold on. Let's get this quote now. Lofton. I said to him, uh, uh, Tyler, I got to get this. Bear with me. I asked him about the trade of Stenerud, you know, after Garcia had blown two. Okay. So I said, uh, What'd you think of that trade? 
He said it seldom enters his thinking. And then he lightens up. This is after this crushing defeat. He said, One, what round draft choice do we get? We may get a hell of a player. Who knows? This is Lofton, you know. Well, they got linebacker Eric Wilson from Maryland, who never played in Green Bay, seventh round, played 17 games with the Bills in Washington. So a month later, I go up to Forrest and say, all right, do you admit now that the Gar- keeping Garcia and trading Stenerud was a mistake? Forrest says, you want me to bare my soul to you? I made a mistake. A guy who makes decisions occasionally in his lifetime, if he makes enough of them, will make a mistake. But he added, I don't live with mistakes. And as things turned out, I don't regret it. He doesn't regret it because after he got rid of Garcia, he signed Al Del Greco, who played pretty well. And then Stenerud, who had a really good year. He said Stenerud didn't want to be there, blah, blah, blah. Stenerud was a class act. Forrest was wrong on that. So that's the way it was. He admitted it, right? Like, you don't hear that out of coaches today. (laughs) Nope. It was totally different. The Press Gazette headline said, Packers lose in winter blunderland. Pretty good. Oh, that's clever. It's a game I'll never forget. No doubt about that. Phenomenal as always, Bob. That's we we could do a, a Forrest Greg hour. I just I love hearing your interactions with him and Bart Starr. Incredible. R.I.P. as well. I, I sat down with both of them for for stories in the Journal Sentinel days. It was you know so cool looking back at their playing days. Just the the wealth of experience as players as coaches. Absolute legends. And I just love your perspective covering them when they were coaches because that that part of their lives just gets forgotten. Because it wasn't as pretty. (laughs) We're not talking about the the Lombardi days of winning Super Bowls. All right, I got to go pick up uh, Ella at preschool. So this is probably a good time to uh, shut her down, Bob. But thank you so much for dissecting Bears, Vikings, Lions, Bucks, Cowboys, Chargers. And thank you, everybody out there for listening. Be sure uh, to share the podcast, share Go Long uh, with, with a friend with a relative. That's how we keep this thing going. No ads, no sponsors, none of that. Uh, We are completely powered by you. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care.